The Alabama Crops Report Podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of the Alabama Crops Report Podcast. We've got the Entomology Plant Pathology Department here, Extension Department here. We're going to do a little different episode this week. We're going to kind of do a roundtable discussion, just talking about insect pest, diseases of corn, cotton, uh, maybe peanuts and soybean as well. Just give you an update of what we're seeing, the phone calls that we're getting right now, and uh, you know, just, just try to keep everybody up to date. So I'll let everybody go around and say who they are uh, and, and what their responsibilities are. So I'm Scott Graham, uh, cotton, soybean, peanut entomologist. And I'm Caitlin Kessheimer, extension entomologist, and I work in grain crops, so corn, wheat, and sorghum. I also do pastures and hay fields, as well as turf, stored grain, and hemp. So a lot of bugs. And I'm Amanda Shear. I have a mouthful just like Caitlin, but I work on the disease side. I do cotton, peanuts, small grains, and I also have ornamentals and turf. And I'm Ed Sikor, extension plant pathologist, working with corn and soybeans. I also do fruit and vegetables. And you'll notice that Dr. Sikor is a repeat guest. We had him on a couple times before. You may remember him as the tallest man in Illinois. In Bonville. In Bonville, Illinois. So welcome back, Ed. Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate it. Tallest man in this room, too. I think. <laughs> so as we're sitting here, it's uh, as we're recording, today's June the 13th. So we've got projections now for basically it's potentially the hottest week of the year, certainly to date, but maybe all year, hopefully <laughs> all year anyway. Uh, but so that can play some effect with diseases that we're seeing, insects, that speeds them up and stuff like that. So we wanted to, to come in and kind of talk a little bit about that. And we'll start with corn and what, uh, what Ed's seeing around the state, some, some updates and things that he's got for us. So, Ed, what, what do we need to be looking for right now? Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, one disease I'm most concerned with is uh, southern corn leaf rust. Uh, Bob Kimmerite over in Georgia, they've picked it up in three or four counties in south Georgia. It's also been spotted in north Florida, so I'm concerned about growers, and especially in southeast Alabama and south Alabama in general. Uh, that's a significant disease. Uh, it's a tropical rust, blows on in, and we've been picking it up, at least they've been picking it up about a week too early than they have in past years. So uh, growers with corn reaching tasseling or, or, or about that point need to consider a, a fungicide about this time to protect their crop because it can be a significant problem. And so is that primarily in the southern part of the state? Is that, are we worried in southeast versus southwest or... Right now, it's in South Georgia, north of Florida. So I'm most concerned about that, that wiregrass region where we have corn, but uh, weather conditions in the Mobile area, Baldwin County could also be under uh, alerts. We've seen rust there over the years. Um, Central Alabama, North Alabama, I'd say right now, they could kind of like a wait and see type scenario. I haven't seen it yet in Alabama, but that doesn't mean it's not there. So uh, growers, I'd say with uh, corn at tasseling, or, or, or near that uh, growth stage, uh, irrigated corn would be uh, at a higher likelihood to get it. And usually a uh, single fungicide application around tasseling or just a little bit past that point would be uh, good. A lot of good fungicides out there uh, to use. Um, hopefully growers have scouts or are using a scout or scouting their fields looking for this problem. Uh, one problem is we, southern corn rust is a disease that will normally sleep mid to upper canopy. And it causes, uh, it gets its name, uh, rust, because you get a rust-type spore that reminds me of your shirts here, uh, these <laughs> orange pustules on the upper leaf surface. But it can be confused with common leaf rust, which causes reddish-brown pustules on the upper leaf surface and the lower leaf surface. And that's usually in the mid to lower canopy. 
and they can be easily confused in the field, and oftentimes you need a diag uh, diagnostician to uh, separate them out. So southern rust is in the upper portion of the canopy, you said? Central to upper portion. So they're both central to upper portion, or did I get confused? You got confused. Southern rust would be in the mid to upper canopy. Common rust would be in the lower canopy. And what did you tell me last year when I saw some potential rust? You said to, to rub it off and it made a mark on my shirt, then it's rust. So that apply to both common and southern rust if the spores come yeah, off? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Is that a good tool for people to, to at least get in the ballpark of a, of a rusty sort of situation? Uh, it's, it's helpful. I mean, if you have a white shirt on, you rub it on your shirt, you can see that the rust pustules on your shirt. It's a... Give you some idea that you might need to call somebody. I wouldn't go with uh, that southern russet because sure, you might yeah. have a dirty leaf. <laughs> in in terms of fungicide choice or control, is is there a difference between the two? Is it important to know which rust you have for controls or? Uh, excellent question. Yeah, with common rust, it's not one that we need to spray for. Most of our hybrids are resistant to it, so when you see it, it's sort of like ah, uh, we got common rust. You're, you're going to see that every year. Um, but with southern rust, that's the one where you need to protect because uh, if the disease goes crazy, I mean, you could see a 100 bushel loss on high-yielding corn. So if you have a, a, a crop that's going to yield well that you want to protect, you need to think about a fungicide. I'd go with a, a fungicide with a dual mode of action. Uh, some of the products, I have a little list here, but things like uh, Treva Pro, Headline, Amp, uh, Veltima, Approach Prima, Stratego YLD, these are all good products. Apply it in a, in a timely manner will give you control. And there's among others that are available. And sometimes, depending on weather conditions, a second application, maybe three weeks later, might be necessary, especially if you want to protect a, a solid crop. Can we talk a little bit about tank mixing with a fungicide and insecticide? Because as we're approaching tassel, I imagine we'll have to make some stink bug applications. And can we tank mix insecticides with fungicides at this growth stage that will help control both stink bugs and rust? That's a really good question. I hope you can answer. Oh, yeah. So I, I, <laughs> the answer is yes, um, <laughs> I think. No, the answer is yes. And I just wanted to talk about that being a possibility um, because as we are approaching tassel, across the state we're harvesting wheat. And what that means is we're taking away all the stink bugs, current homes in wheat, and now they're going to move over into corn. And so I've started picking up some stink bugs, especially in the southern part of the state. And so tank mixing at Tassel, your fungicide plus insecticide, can save you a pass through the field to control stink bugs. I think that's always a good reason to read the label. So, Ed, you mentioned that you may need a, a follow-up application a couple of weeks after your initial spray. Is that something where you're just still seeing rust in the field? And I'm, I'm a bug man, right? So I'm very much see bug, kill bug come back <laughs> bugs still there spray again <laughs> is that how this is with rust are we going to eliminate it from the field with a spray do you do you have a percent control you're looking at and then how do i know i need to treat it again yeah it's, it's a it's a wandering question i guess and i'll have a wandering answer for you but it's normally about three weeks later depending on what project you use first if you still have high disease pressure in that field or a neighboring field you might want to come in with a sec second application. With, of a, I, would, I would go with a cheaper product just because of the prices of various inputs this year is tough. So I'd go with a cheaper product two to three weeks later, depending on the first product you use. And it might be re uh, more related to weather conditions. We have a lot of moisture, uh, rainfall if you're irrigating, uh, 
you might want to go with that second application. Again, it, it sort of is up to the grower depending on what that crop is worth to him. Yeah, sure, her. sure, yeah. And speaking of, of you know, looking at input costs and stuff, diesel fuel obviously has gone up a lot so far this year. So, Caitlin, as we, as we know, corn is basically a trap crop for us. So is, this, is that a good time, that pre-tassel time, to throw in an insecticide for stink bugs? Yeah, now would be a great time to think about stink bug control. So across the state, we are harvesting wheat, which means we are pushing all the stink bugs into the closest cornfields. And so even if you cannot see the stink bugs, there's a very good chance that they are there in your field if you've just harvested wheat or your neighbor has. And this is a great time before corn hits tassel and we do a lot of damage from stink bugs is to throw an insecticide with your fungicide application. And at this point, I'm way less concerned with what you spray, just the fact that you are spraying on time and getting good coverage for those stink bugs that are hiding in the leaf collars. So your average rate of any cheaper generic pyrethroid will take care of stink bugs at this stage. And one thing you mentioned there, which we see in cotton too, is stink bugs are hard to find. Yes. I mean, they're they're very difficult to find in any field, really. And, and maybe this isn't good IPM, so maybe our guy will cut this out. I don't know. But we pretty much there's a very very high likelihood if we spray corn in alabama around tasseling we're gonna see a benefit out of that yes absolutely and like i said that may not be ipm to not scout and use thresholds which y'all have a new threshold for it and it's very scientific and confusing to me Uh, yeah and i will say as much as we have thresholds and practice ipm stink bugs are very very sneaky in the field they hide in the leaf collars they drop down to the field when you're scouting for them I've scouted extensively for stink bugs, and I will see zero and then see feeding damage at the end. And same with growers. They'll tell me they live in their cornfields all summer, don't see a single one, and then they see that very characteristic kernel damage once the corn develops. And so if you have the budget and you're going out with a fungicide, then it it will make good sense to throw in a a, a cheap pyrethroid to take care of stink bugs. Just a funny aside, if you remember... Last year, we had our meeting with our uh, all the entomologists across really the U.S. and and some of our colleagues had decided that stink bugs leave the field during the day and they come back in and they're only in there at night and that just goes to show how difficult they can be to find in the field. So really, if you haven't sprayed by tasseling, I, I think it helps. And part of why I'm so pro that is I can't prove it, but it's got to help cotton as well. All these things I mentioned when I kind of set this up that corn is a trap crop, and I meant that kind of jokingly, but it really is for cotton. 95% of the stink bugs probably that we've got in the state are going to move from cotton, from corn into cotton. So if we can do a good job of killing them in corn now, maybe that relieves some pressure off of us in cotton later in the year. I knew that's where you were going with this. So if I can do my job in corn, then your job in cotton might be a little bit easier. Yep. With the southern rust, some of these corn diseases... I mentioned spraying a tasseling or shortly thereafter, but you want to get ahead of the disease. So it has to be before the disease shows up or shortly thereafter. But if the disease is already there and you're trying to uh, attack an established disease, it's going to be problematic, probably like with stink bugs and some of your other insect problems, I'd say. Yeah, and I was actually going to ask you that, Ed, because especially with cotton diseases, when we get later in the season, like with target spot, when you have more than 25 to 30 percent defoliation, you're not going to be able to rescue that crop with a fungicide. So I was curious with rust, you know, if you let it go too long, you're not scouting, you're probably going to end up in more trouble than anything. 
I've seen that a lot with uh, soybean rust. We're not talking soybeans yet, but that's my favorite disease. But when we see it halfway up the canopy, I just tell the growers, don't spray because you're just throwing dollar bills into the field and not going to get any bang for your buck. And this is not the year to do that. No, no. What about cotton? With cotton, we're still pretty early. So, you know, not far as far along as corn. Um, but, you know, some of them have already gone in the ground. We're probably even 40 days to 45 days after planting in some areas or even longer. Uh, the only thing that I've really heard um, since it's been drier, it's been hot, it can be a problem in irrigated cotton as well as fusarium wilt. It basically attacks cotton at any stage. Um, and at the seedling stage, it may just show up as like a sudden wilting of the leaves. Um, it'll attack the roots. It's a soil-borne pathogen, so it affects that, you know, water nutrient uptake. And unfortunately, if you're seeing it right now, there's not much we can do for it. It's just planning for next year because the furrow is already closed. You kind of want to minimize nematode pressure because just any damage to those roots just increases um, your risk for fusarium. You know, in crop rotation, so if you're already seeing, you know, pressure with fusarium wilt, it only really goes mainly to cotton, but it can hang out in the soil for, for several years. It's pretty stable. Uh, so you really want to rotate next year away from cotton, even going into peanuts or corn. You know, any other crop essentially will really help. But unfortunately, if you're seeing a lot of stand issues, um, sometimes if it's excessive, you'll have to replant. So it's kind of doom and gloom in cotton right now if you have fusarium wilt. Unfortunately, it's not like rust where you can kind of rescue it with a fungicide. Yep. Do you have much experience with uh, seed treatments? Do they provide any control, or is this something we've got to kind of plan? Because you said plan for it in the future and use a infer a fungicide. Or so it's mainly at, um, you know doing infer nematicides, um, seed treatments, but it's mainly just using clean seed. So it can be transmitted into a field via seed. So you want to make sure you have good quality seed going into that next field season. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, those premium treated cotton seeds will do really well. If there's any growers that save seed um, at all, you know, if it's been infected with fusarium, you definitely don't want to use it again next year. You know, on the insect side, it's been a really heavy thrips year. I'm still getting calls on thrips this morning, in fact, about, you know, I got some cotton that's up to the fifth or sixth true leaf stage. Do I, should I spray it? And Typically, we'd say no, but this year we have seen fields, both research plots and commercial fields with the seed treatment, that I would have sprayed for thrips at the fifth or sixth true leaf stage, which is very, very uncommon. Just been a phenomenal thrips year. With that, most of our at plant treatments really haven't provided the control that we need, but with, you know, we've got some some cases where we've we've pulled seedlings out of the field in a commercial field and take them into the lab and counted thrips and our threshold is one to two per plant and we're finding 30 to 40 per plant i mean you really can't expect hardly anything to uh, stand up against that so just phenomenal thrips pressure uh in in some places we're starting to get into square now for a good bit of our cotton so we're kind of turning hopefully turning the page to plant bugs so far have not been as bad as they were last year we, ha we have gotten a couple of reports the last week about plant bugs moving in the fields but but really most of the folks we're talking to when we asked they haven't really started seeing them yet so still trying to get folks to to monitor square retention make sure we're maintaining at least 80 percent of the squares on the uh in the upper two or three nodes of the canopy uh, but that's you know seen some spider mites here and there with this hot weather we've got now there's really potential for them to blow up on us so that's another reason not to spray if we don't have to because you can you can cause issues there but that's 
that's pretty much what's been going on with in cotton from an insect side. Yeah, and just to add to that, uh, you know, with the hot temperatures you mentioned with spraying, I've seen a lot of herbicide damage where they're trying to control for leaves, so a lot of, like, burn mm. in addition to that thrips damage. Um, and so it's just kind of a perfect recipe for disaster right now. Amanda, can I ask you another question? Uh, Scott mentioned thrips, and you work with peanuts. Are, are you seeing an increase in tomato spotted wildflowers on peanuts? We're seeing it on tomatoes in the wiregrass area. I was just curious if it's a crossover. So I haven't done my thrips ratings yet, but I would imagine, so Scott may be able to mention about, you know, thrips flights. If we have a year like we did last year where we have heavy pressure, I imagine we're going to start seeing um, some stunting, uh, maybe some chlorosis of some of those leaves. Uh, but then a lot of the symptoms won't show up till a little bit later in July, and that's where we'll get kind of a clearer picture. But I don't know how much damage you're seeing yeah, in peanuts and, right now. So we, we've got uh, several trials out this year. Uh, you know, if you look at the, the peanut RX model, uh, which gives you a risk of, of planting or of, of infection of the virus, uh, we earlier planting dates were at a much higher risk, and our, our April late April planting peanuts were just hammered with thrips. And my guess is, and we, we started to see a little bit of a virus in it, and my guess is in the next week or two, we're going to see a lot of virus in those plots. Uh, we got a test where we're looking at planting dates and varieties, and as our planting dates get later, the thrips pressure was much lighter. In fact, we planted our last one two weeks ago, uh, so so we'll see what that one looks like. But you know. I, we had a lot of thrips this year in peanut fields, and you know, if we didn't, Thymet's the only product that's really been able to reduce incidence of the virus, and you know, we don't use a lot of Thymet in Alabama like they do in Georgia, and that's part of why Georgia tends to have a little bit less incidence than we do in Alabama. Uh, so I, I don't know, but I, my guess is we're going to have a, a good bit of virus this year. Yeah, and just to follow up with thymet versus imidacloprid, you know, th neither one really prevent the thrips from feeding. So it's quick and it's not quick enough to prevent the transmission of the virus. But thymet, you know, induces some of a kind of a defense response in the plant. So that's why you get a reduction in tomato spotted wilt incidence. Um, so even with imidacloprid, if you get adequate thrips control, it doesn't always equate to controlling tomato spotted wilt virus and reducing that incidence. But Thymet is a little bit better in terms of that because it adds that additional, like, kind of boost, essentially. Um, and in terms of, you know, diseases in peanuts, we're really just getting started but um, in the season. But I'm getting really worried about with these hot temperatures that we mentioned at the start of the episode. When you're getting above 90 and into the hundreds, I think wiregrass area headland is scheduled to be in, at 100 degrees for the high a couple days next week. Um, I'm really worried about white mold and peanuts. Normally in Alabama, we have to worry about leaf spot, and that's mainly what we talk about. Georgia had, always has historically had a little bit more pressure of white mold, but when we have a hot, dry year um, and you're irrigating your peanuts, you're more at risk for white mold. So growers should definitely be aggressive in their program this year and make sure, you know, at 45 days after planting, they're either using Priax or minimum at six fluid ounces. You could even raise it to eight fluid ounces. Alatus is another good product, um, or even mixing in tebuconazole at 7.2 fluid ounces with a leaf spot product can really help with that. But continue to be vigilant and aggressive as you're going throughout the season, because when white mold starts, it'll start in little isolated hits throughout the field, and it'll quickly move down the row if it's really conducive for disease. And just like fusarium, it's another one that's a soil-borne pathogen. Um, so you want to be 
timely in your fungicide applications with that one. So unlike fusarium, we can't do too much. We can still do stuff for white mold. And since we're talking about the weather, I'll jump in and briefly talk about our 2021 celebrity fall armyworms because it's hot and dry this week. We had a bunch of rain recently. So we're looking at a lot of lush green lawns and fields. We've started picking up some fall armyworm feeding in corn, some egg masses all the way up in North Alabama. So as this hot, dry weather continues, what that means is a lot of things slow down. So natural enemies, predatory insects, rodents, birds, and that allows the caterpillar eggs to survive and we'll have more survival of fall armyworm. And so the conditions, if we have a lot of wet weather, green grass followed by drought and heat, then that's just perfect for a fall armyworm. And so if you haven't already started scouting, be on the lookout because they can tear up a field pretty quickly. And, you know, the, the good news there, Caitlin, is that last year when this whole thing blew up, we started hearing about it in Texas, what, first week of May, second week of May, something like that. Yep, yep. And they were saying, hey, pyrethroids aren't doing anything. We haven't heard that this year. No, we haven't. And so I think what we need to do is just stay vigilant. And if we see armyworms at threshold, then we need to treat. But I don't expect any um, major resistance issues or control failures as long as we're on time. Um, and we're, I think we're going to have a, a hot, dry summer. We're still in a La Nina year. And so it may get very difficult if populations get high, but we should see good control if we use the right product at the right time. Yep, yep. So that my, I haven't gotten any calls, but my recommendation on fall armyworms would be treat them like normal. Yes. Like last year didn't happen. Yes. Yep, I would treat them like normal. I don't think we're going to have a historic year. We might have a little bit higher than average, depending on the weather and, and what the storms and hurricanes look like. But, you know, be prepared. And um, we have good products that work from insect growth regulators to uh, pyrethroids and, and a lot of systemics. And so um, if you have questions, I'm sure we can cover that in a later episode in more depth. But hopefully we won't need to. Yes, fingers <laughs> crossed. All right, so that's going to do it for today's episode of the Alabama Crops Report podcast. Uh, as always, we appreciate our, all of our listeners out there. Uh, and if we can ever do anything to ever help, please don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.